0: Think of the person who is most precious to you. Would you serve a God that asked you to give that person up? To ask it a different way. What's the difference between what God asked Abraham to do in this passage and what the children of Israel are later condemned for when they worship along with the Canaanites, the god Molech, and offer their children in sacrifice to that god? Would you express what Abraham expresses? The Lord will provide. And what would that say about your faith in God? This passage is difficult on a number of levels for similar reasons as to what people object to the idea that God would sacrifice his own son for us in the New Testament. There are people who say, what kind of parent would give up his child for people who don't deserve it, no less? What kind of parent? And yet, As we go through this passage, we see parallels between what takes place in these verses, what Christ has done in our place in the New Testament, and what at first appears to be a story of sorrow and loss and even horror, in fact, is perhaps one of the best pictures of what Christ does in salvation that we find in the Old Testament. It came about after these things. What are these things? Isaac is born. Hagar is sent out with Ishmael. Abraham makes the covenant with Abimelech. After these things, God tested Abraham. So when we ask, what was God doing in this passage? We don't have to wonder because it says very clearly, God tested Abraham. What was God testing? God was, I think, testing Abraham's faith. We've seen the ups and downs of Abraham's faith over the chapters in the last couple of months, right? God says, go. Abraham goes. He expresses faith. Famine comes into the land, and rather than staying in the land of Canaan, he goes down to Egypt, which is a just a, a common thing we see in the history of God's people. They would turn to Egypt, particularly and sometimes to other nations to meet their needs. And then, God gives him great victory over his enemies in rescuing Lot, and then God makes the formal covenant with Abraham, and then all of these other ups and downs that we've seen in the past few weeks have been places where Abraham's faith has either been strong or it has wavered, which I think is helpful for us because I think that's what we experience too, right? Sometimes our faith in God is strong. I believe God. I'm going to do what he wants me to do. I'm confident that he can keep his promises. And other times we say, you know what? I don't know if God is good right now. I don't understand what he's doing. I'm not sure if I can trust him. Our faith goes up and down like that, right? And so Abraham is perhaps a better picture for or example for us than we realize but in this God is testing Abraham's faith God calls to him Abraham he says here I am gonna see a similar thing happen later in Israel's history with Samuel right the boy God calls to him he says here I am he's ready to do God's will what does it say of Christ God calls to him he says here I am I'm ready to do your will oh God so we see just a, a brief aside a picture of things that are yet to come when he says take now your son your only son the one whom you love Isaac there is no question what it is that God is asking him to do he's his only son he doesn't have any other son that can fulfill the promises that God has made to him this is the son that he loves I mean he was attached to Ishmael, but Isaac is the fulfillment of all of God's promises to him, and he loves him. Isaac is a source of joy in his life. Isaac's very name means laughter, and God says, Take him, go to this place, offer him as a burnt offering. Not a symbolic thing, not a, like a dedication service. Lay him on the altar, Kill him with the knife, burn him as a sacrifice. The place where God sends him is the same place where God will later establish the temple in Jerusalem, Mount Moriah. What would have been going through Abraham's head at this point? How could you ask me of this? Ask this of me, God this is my son, this is the fulfillment of all of the promises that you've made to me, and you're saying to give him up? We might have been hesitant. Might have tried to put it off as long as possible, but it says Abraham got up early in the morning and went where God told him to go. And this example of faith parallels the example of faith we see in chapter 12, where he gets up, He leaves the people that he knows and the home that he's familiar with and he does what God asks him to do. On the third day, Abraham raised his eyes and saw the place from a distance. I was talking with some people about the significance of numbers in the Bible. What we should not think about the significance of numbers in the Bible is count this many verses and look at this word and then count this many other verses and look at this word and there'll be a secret message from God for you. That's not how we should take numbers in the Bible. But there, are, there is significance of numbers in the Bible. For example, the number 40 connected with times of testing or judgment, the flood, the Israelites in the wilderness, Jesus' in his temptations. The number 3 seems to be tied to... These pictures of Christ. This one, Joan in the belly of the whale, Christ three days in the tomb, and so forth. Verse 5, Abraham's statement is significant. I and the lad will go over there. We will worship and return to you. How is that possible, Abraham? You're going to sacrifice your son. How is he going to come back with you? Hebrews has comments on that we'll look at in a moment. Abraham takes the wood, gives it to Isaac, and he's holding the fire and the knife, and they walk on together. How old is Isaac at this point? The Bible describes him as clearly old enough to carry a load of wood. He's not an infant, he's not a toddler. Isaac's probably at least a teenager by this point, perhaps a little bit older, and he is going with his father willingly. Now we have to say, did he he know all of what was going to take place? I mean, doesn't explicitly say, but clearly he asks the question here in verse 7. We've got all of the things we need for the sacrifice except the sacrifice. Where is it going to come from? Abraham's response, I think, is a key to understanding the theme of this passage. God will provide it for himself. It's going to come up again a little bit later in this passage. They walk on together. They came to the place that God had told them. Abraham built the altar, arranged the wood, bound his son, and laid him on the altar. Isaac would have participated in this willingly. Is it possible? theoretically possible that Abraham could have restrained his son perhaps but we're talking about a man who's over a hundred years old and his son who's probably a teenager coming into the prime of his strength Isaac willingly lays down on that altar Abraham is ready to plunge the knife into Isaac but the angel of the Lord calls to him and says Abraham Abraham and he says Here I am. Who is the angel of the Lord? Christ, most likely, from what we understand of other instances of this in the Old Testament. So we have Christ calling to Abraham from heaven in this picture of what Christ will someday do in our place and says, Wait, stop. Do not stretch out your hand and do nothing to him, for now I know that you fear God. Since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. What was the test? Do you fear me, Abraham? Do you belong to me? Do you believe in me? Did Abraham passed the test. Yes. Then Abraham looks and sees a ram caught in the thicket, and he offers the ram up as a burnt offering in the place of his son. And then, verse 14, we read already the Lord will provide is the name that Abraham gives to this place. Knowing what we know and standing where we stand, looking at the whole of Scripture, if we miss the parallels between this account and the life and ministry of Christ, we need to read both of those things again. What are the parallels? a father offering his only son. Except in this case, Abraham doesn't actually offer his only son because there's a lamb that's put as the substitute for that son. God provided that sacrifice as Abraham expressed faith that he would God provides his own Son as the sacrifice in our place. How could Abraham go through with what it is that he's just what this passage describes the books of hebrew the Hebrews answers this for us hebrews eleven seventeen through nineteen says this by faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises, was offering up his only begotten son. It was he to whom it was said, "In Isaac your descendants shall be called. He considered that God is able to raise people even from the dead, from which he also received him back as a type. So what is a type? A type is something in the Old Testament that anticipates something in the life and ministry of Christ. And in this instance, what is going on with Abraham and with Isaac and with the ram anticipates what is going to go on with God the Father, with his only begotten son Jesus, and the sacrifice that he would make in our place. God provided. God provided for Abraham. God has provided for us in Jesus. When people argue that the meaning of the cross is simply an opportunity for people to see a great example of someone who loved other people, they are missing the significance of the parallels between this passage and what Christ did. Christ's death was not just a, I'm a great example. Follow in my example. Christ's death was an in-your-place substitutionary sacrifice for sin. Why did people do burnt offerings in the Old Testament? Because of their sin. We see the first example of this with Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. As they're being expelled from the Garden of Eden, God does a sacrifice of animals, animals, as a reminder of their sin and to provide skins to be a covering for them we see additional sacrifices Noah and others as we continue through the book of Genesis we come here and God says offer up your son Isaac but then when God provides the, the, the ram that is offered as the burnt offering in payment of sin God accepts that offering and God's the one who has provided that offering God had made the promise back in Genesis 3.15 that there would be one who would come and deliver his people from their sin. Isaac was not the person to do that. Just as Seth had not been the person to do that, just as Noah had not been the person to do that, but there keep being these pictures pointing to the fact that God is going to send someone to be that sacrifice, to be that payment for sin, to deal with the problem of sin that continues to plague his people, and in this expression of faith, Abraham becomes a picture of God the Father. What is different between what Abraham is asked to do here and what the pagans did in worship of their God? God specifically ordained this as a picture, as a type, as an anticipation of what Christ would do for his people. What the pagans did was self-serving in an effort to get all of the things that they wanted out of this world, children and money and good crops and all of those other sorts of things. And so in a selfish way, they made those sacrifices to idols, whereas here the living God calls his servant to make a sacrifice as a picture of what he himself will one day do. And it's not to get all those things that the people of Israel wanted when they followed false gods. Because Abraham already had all those things. So what more would he get by offering his son? He would lose everything. But what God called him to do showed that God is the one who can provide. God provided the sacrifice in place of Isaac. God has provided Christ in the place of his people. And if God can provide those things, what does Paul say? He who freely offered up his son, how will he not also freely give us all things? If God took care of that need, our problem of sin and payment for it in the person of Jesus Christ, that's the greatest thing that we need God can certainly take care of us and provide for us many lesser things that come up in the course of our lives. What was God's evaluation of Abraham? Verse 15, the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only son, indeed I will greatly bless you, and I will multiply your seed as the stars of the heavens and as the sand on the seashore, and your seed shall possess the gates of their enemies. In your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. Paul says in the book of Galatians that Christ fulfills this promise, that in the seed of Abraham the nations will be blessed. In Galatians 3, Abraham returns. They arose and went together to Beersheba, and then Abraham lived at Beersheba. God... he tests his people knows what's going to happen God knew what was in Abraham's heart God knew what he had purposed to do God knew what he was going to accomplish God provided for Abraham here just like he was going to provide for the Israelites in the wilderness just like he was going to provide for the people in the land just like he provides Christ. For his people and for us. So, how then should we perceive God? Is God vindictive and cruel for offering up his own son? Christ went willingly, even as Isaac went willingly, upon the altar. God could go no other route in paying for sin because there's no other sacrifice that's sufficient everyone else in the entire world from the history of the world until that point had sinned and so if they died as a sacrifice they'd at best be only paying for their own sins Christ was perfect and that's the reason that he could pay for the sins of the whole world And because he was God, he could infinitely endure that sacrifice. So, do you see God as a God who will provide? Not a God who will provide everything that you might want out of life. Not a God that will make you rich and make your life comfortable. And a God that will make the American dream come true in your life but a God who will provide the greatest need which you have, which is that you are a sinner under God's wrath, and you cannot take away that sin. But just like God provided a substitute in the place of Isaac, God provides a substitute in the place of all who will call upon the name of Jesus and be saved from their sin, not by their own good works, but through the righteous life and perfect substitutionary death of Christ. Is that the God that you serve? Is that the God that you are willing to serve? Even if serving that God costs you the things that it seemed that it would cost Abraham, would you still serve God if he took away everything from you? Do you believe that he's the Lord who will There's a song that someone wrote based on this passage. I wanted to read the words of it for you here. Though troubles assail and dangers affright, though friends should all fail and foes all unite, yet one thing secures us, whatever betide, the Scripture assures us the Lord will provide. The birds without barn or storehouse are fed, From them let us learn to trust for our bread. His saints, what is fitting, shall ne'er be denied. So long as it's written, the Lord will provide. We may, like the ships by tempest, be tossed on perilous deeps, but cannot be lost. Though Satan enrages the wind and the tide, the promise engages the Lord will provide. His call we obey, like Abram of old, not knowing our way, But faith makes us bold. For though we are strangers, we have a good guide and trust in all dangers the Lord will provide. When Satan appears to stop up our path and fills us with fears, we triumph by faith. He cannot take from us, though oft he has tried, this heart cheering promise the Lord will provide. He tells us we're weak. Our hope is in vain. The good that we seek we ne'er shall obtain, but when such suggestions our spirits have plied, this answers all questions the Lord will provide. No strength of our own, nor goodness we claim, yet since we have known the Savior's great name, in this our strong tower for safety we hide. The Lord is our power, the Lord will provide. When life sinks apace and death is in view, this word of his grace shall comfort us through. No fearing or doubting with Christ on our side, we hope to die shouting, The Lord will provide. Is your trust in the Lord who will provide, or is it in anything else? You can be the the best person in the world by the standards that the world sets up. You can be the most religious person in terms of helping the poor and Following rituals and doing prayers and all of those sorts of things. But if your hope and your trust is not in this God who provided for you through Christ, then you look at that sacrifice that he has provided and you say, I'm going to provide my own sacrifice in your place. And you spit in the face of Jesus and you say, he's not good enough. I can go my own way. And God says, this is the only way. Is he the one that you trust in? Because God is the one who will provide, but there's only one provision that he's made. Let's pray. Lord, we look at this story, a familiar story, many things in it that Probably heard a number of times before. May all of us in this room be trusting in Jesus as the only provision that you have made for sin. That in Him you fulfill the promises that you have made, that in Him we can be sharers in those promises, that in Him we can find the forgiveness that we so desperately need for the sin that plagues us. And as we come now to this time of remembering the sacrifice of Christ, I pray that none of us would lift up these symbols hypocritically saying, yes, I trust in these things. If we don't in fact trust in them, Lord, I pray that we would trust in them and continue to trust in them, to continue to trust in Him. Lord, because... Christ is the only sufficient provision for sin. And in your grace and in your kindness, he has offered himself in our place. And that is an overwhelming and a marvelous and a glorious thing for us to consider. And we often don't consider it enough. But Lord, help us to contemplate it soberly and seriously now as we come to this time of your table. In Christ's name.